Hello and welcome to Hypot Enthused, the podcast of the Faculty of Mathematical and Physical Sciences at UCL, or as we like to call it, MAPS. Uh, I'm your host, Malcolm. I'm here with my co-host, Mayamana. Hi, everyone. And today we are speaking with Roshni Malde, who is a PhD student in the chemistry department at UCL and was recently the winner of the Ramsey Medal for 2019-20 on behalf of the work that she'd done in the department, which we'll come into in a minute. Uh, Roshni, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for welcoming me. To begin with, congratulations on winning the Ramsey Medal. How much did you know about the Ramsey Medal before you won it? Were you deliberately planning to win it or was it kind of a nice surprise? <laughs> uh, definitely a nice surprise. <laughs> well, I knew about it for sure because like, it happens every year in the department. You do your final year talk and then the winners of those go forward to the Ramsey Medal. So I did know about it, but I didn't even expect to win like the, the first round. So... Yeah, very unexpected. Yeah, so I was going to say the medal was won for... Now, let me see if I can get the actual title here. <laughs> I think it's the... Is it, was it called the Development and Studies of Photoactive Protein Bioconjugates? Exactly. <laughs> off the tongue. <laughs> so, so I think the first three questions that we would have are... Well, the first question I think that comes to mind for me is, what is a photoactive protein <laughs> bioconjugate? <laughs> um... <laughs> Hard to explain, but I'm going to try yeah. and simplify it as much as possible. Um, I guess to explain that, I first have to tell you what a protein bioconjugate is. So essentially, if you've got um, a protein, an existing protein, and you attach on a small molecule, or any molecule for that matter, that is then called a protein bioconjugate. And that can be useful because it allows you to sort of study the function of protein. So it helps biologists to understand how proteins work. But also, I think more exciting is you can attach on so many other things. You can attach on a fluorophore, for example, which would allow you to do some imaging. You can even attach on drugs, which would allow targeted um, therapeutics and stuff. So, yeah, very cool. What would be the process then for, uh, for using one of these proteins in, in a, a, a drug-based situation, for example? How would the bioconjugate uh, be used in that situation? Uh, I guess one example that comes to mind is probably ADCs, which are antibody drug conjugates. So the antibody is your protein and you attach on a drug to that. And how that is more beneficial than just having a normal drug is that the antibody is specific for the cancer cells that it's going to. So it can essentially deliver your antibody drug combination to a particular cancer site. And therefore, you can have targeted therapeutics. So this is sort of better than like the traditional chemotherapy methods that we've got, which will you always hear about all the side effects that chemotherapy has. So in this way, because you're just targeting the cancer cells, you're going to have less damage to healthy tissues. And so that's so much more beneficial, so much more attractive even for patients, really. So we've talked a little bit about what, what a protein bioconjugate would be. So what's the photoactive element of that? Why, why are the photoactive protein bioconjugates of specific interest to you? Well, I guess so it means that you can, you can control the like, place and time at which you would almost activate your protein. So say you've got a protein bioconjugate, as I was talking about, it's like a pro-drug in that it could be inactive in that form. But then if you then go and shine light on it, you can activate your protein. So essentially it's like turning the protein on at a specific time and place when you when you shine the light on it. Yeah, that's basically where my work is going. What what sort of equipment does that involve? Like I'm trying to how can I imagine exactly like what what it is that you use in the lab in order to kind of 
switch on the bioconjugates, for example? Um, so if I'm working on like just on chemistry molecules, essentially, I would use like a, a mercury lamp um, to do these irradiations and so on. But then obviously that's going to be so harsh because there's so much power with those mercury lamps. So if you're trying to do it on like bioconjugates, which are like tiny little things in Eppendorf's, you would be doing using like a little torch or something to do it. So that's how that works. So I'm, I'm guessing, for example, that if you had uh, a protein bioconjugate that was going to be used to treat something like stomach cancer, to, to mm -hmm. think of an example, yeah. you, would you then try and shine a light into somebody's stomach to try and activate it? Or I knew this was going to be a question. <laughs> no, because as we know, you, the light that I'm using at the moment is all UV radiation. So that's definitely not a good idea. You're probably just going to give the person more cancer. So yeah, not, not a great idea at the moment. <laughs> um, but I guess, so where this would be useful at the moment, I guess would be for in vitro studies. It just allows you to like study how this could possibly be an effect rather than actually treating cancer. It could be allowed to understand the function of something and so on like that. Um, but yeah, eventually, I guess it would be very cool if you could be treating cancer, for example, with light. So how that would work is you would have to use a different kind of light. You'd have to use IR radiation or something like that, which you can shine at people without causing them more damage. So, yeah, I guess that would be very cool in the future, but this is way far off, especially for the work I'm doing. I mean, there are things out there like that, but yeah, for the stuff I'm doing, it's more in for studying things rather than for actual treatment. I realise that I'm not sure if we actually asked you to, um, we asked you what a protein bioconjugate was. Did we ask you to summarise? I don't think we asked you to summarise your the speech that you gave for the Ramsey Mental. Um, I haven't really, but I guess... <laughs> Um, so I guess there's a class of molecules that I'm basically working with called malayamides and they can do two different types of reactions. One is the two plus two cycloaddition reaction, which probably means nothing to you, but that's okay. <laughs> in terms of, in terms of an application, what it could mean is like I was saying, if you've attached your malayamide to a protein, you could then have that as your inactive form of the protein. And then if you shine light on it, the two plus two reaction occurs and the protein will then sort of undergo this conformational change and that could cause an activation of the protein. So that's one of the things that I'm sort of looking at. And then the other one is if you've got your protein bound to the malayamide, which is then bound to a drug or any, any sort of attached cargo, um, which that drug says in its inactive form again, and then you shine light on it and you can cause release of this drug, which would then be in its active form. So that, those are the two sort of areas that I'm looking at and yeah, exploring those at the moment. Just to kind of build upon that, was there any kind of particular reason why you chose to go into this area of um, kind of cancer cells and something that I think sounds like it relates a lot to biology as well as the chemistry sort of background? Um, so I know from what you said that you can use um, these bioconjugates in so many ways. You probably can reveal some how enzymes are functioning or protein sort of distribution, all sorts of things. So, so what is it that made you get into the cancer application? I guess it's not just cancer. I think for me, it was always about just generally using science to help medicines in general, not just cancer, sort of like a range of them. Um, I guess because I had... Back at school, I had some work experience at GSK 
And that for me is what um, sort of made me more passionate about sort of using science to improve people's lives, improve people, improve people's lives, help people that are suffering, I guess. So I think that's what it was. Um, yeah, so that's sort of how I got into this sort of thing. Speaking about, you know, having having a history of working in this kind of field. So uh, your master's thesis was related in similar areas, uh, improving the therapeutic activity of potential drug molecules by using the phosphoramidate product technology. Did I yeah, get that? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> um, and this was actually, this actually led to a publication which is not particularly common for master's level work, I think it's safe to say. <laughs> I mean, how, that must have been an interesting experience to be a master's student and have the work that you do go towards, you know, publication in the Journal of Medicinal Chemistry, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was such an achievement. I mean, I guess it was a lot of people working on that stuff. So I did some of the work, the master's student before me did a lot of work on it. The postdocs did a lot of work on it as well. So it was sort of collaborative working that led to that publication. But yeah, definitely such an achievement to have that publication for sure. I guess that was in um, 2018. So that must have been before a lot of the situation that we have now, which you were just describing to us before this podcast <laughs> of rotors and shifts to go into lab. So what was that like kind of actually doing that collaborative work in, in the lab? Yeah, that was definitely a good experience. Um, with that though, although I say it was collaborative working, it was sort of asynchronously almost. So like I did the work, someone else did the work before me kind of thing, especially because when I was there, my uh, supervisor actually moved, because I did my undergrad at Birmingham, but my supervisor moved to Cardiff in the middle of my, in the middle of my masters. So yeah, it was a bit interesting, but yeah, definitely still a good experience. So, so one thing that came up for me when we were researching this is uh, I noticed one term, both in your master's work and your current work, which I was not familiar with. Mm -hmm. Could you explain what a prodrug is? Essentially, you've got your drug, which would be its active form. So a prodrug is something that isn't in its active form, but once it goes into the body, something will happen to it and it will become in its active form again. So that's essentially what a prodrug is. I ha hadn't come across the word prodrug before looking into your work as well. And I realized that some really quite well-known prodrugs are prodrugs. So for example, things like aspirin, I think there were a few that I was surprised by. I think, yeah, a lot of them will be because they don't, they're not in its active form until they react within your body, I guess. So yeah. Mm. So was it a case that you, having done the work on the masters, that automatically opened up a field to you and made you go, this is what I want to do my PhD in? Sort of. Um, I did really enjoy my master's project, the whole medicinal chemistry, how it sort of played a role in the bigger picture like things towards medicines and stuff. So I did know I sort of wanted to carry on in that field, but whether I wanted to do a PhD or not was questionable. I wasn't definitely sure I wanted to. So sort of at the time I was applying for both jobs and PhDs and stuff, but I knew I wanted to stay in that field regardless. As you're now approaching the end of your PhD, do you feel you made the right decision? Definitely, yes, yeah. I'm so glad I'm here at UCL <laughs> doing a chem bio PhD. Yep, yeah, for sure. I mean, like you learn so many skills in a PhD, I think, and I think that's something you probably don't get in industry. So yeah, definitely glad, for sure. <laughs> Just off the back of that as well, so, so what's it been like, if you could kind of describe what it's like to do a PhD at UCL, what, how would you describe a PhD that's kind of a few stages ahead, but what it feels like and what 
what the experience has been like for you? Uh, I guess it's just a journey in itself. Um, yeah, you just learn so many new things with it. Um, I mean, it always starts off as something completely new. It's a whole new project. You have no idea about it. And then sort of as the year progresses, you start learning new things and you sort of, you also, you also start just believing in yourself about it all and like understanding everything. And then you sort of realize that you're probably like the one person that knows so much about that one particular tiny little area. <laughs> so it's, it's quite nice, definitely. But I think also technically you learn so many new skills as well. Um, like I'm only just starting to do some more chem bio stuff. So that's quite cool as well for me. Uh, learning new skills there so yeah definitely recommend it for anyone that would want to do it who wants to go into science definitely we were just talking about the current arrangements so you're part of the chemistry department at UCL you're still doing your research even while lockdown is in place so can you talk a little bit about how how the pandemic has affected that the kind of changes that you've had to bring in for your work over the last year compared to what was happening previous to that? Yeah, so obviously we went into lockdown last March and then we were off for like three, four months, I think we went in the lab. So yeah, that that was quite interesting. It just meant a lot of reading around the subject, writing up my thesis, that kind of thing. And then when we went back, it's sort of gone into cohort systems. So we're essentially on a rotor, one week in, one week off type of thing. Sort of last time we ended up doing a few weeks in and then a week off. And that wasn't so bad. It gives you that break. It almost allows you to plan your work, which probably before we weren't doing so well. So probably a good thing. But I think it gets more stressful now. Are you suggesting that the pandemic has improved <laughs> your efficiency? Partially, yes. <laughs> I think you never really take a step back before, like to just think about what you're doing. You just sort of go into drive and like just do everything you want to do, but you don't really think about what you're doing or analyze your results or anything like that. So in a way, yes, I think I think it does make it a bit more efficient. Although now, now that we've gone to the whole one week in, one week off, I think it is a little bit more stressful because you try and you try and pack in so much into the one week that you are in. And then the one week off, you're not not as much to do. So pros and cons of it both. <laughs> it's so nice to hear from a researcher as well that you've kind of had that chance to actually have a bit more headspace because I think if there's anything that comes from the pandemic, it's being able to take a bit of a step back and sort of have that bigger picture, which it sounds like has translated over to your, your work as well, which is great. In terms of your research, so how many people are there in, in the the group and kind of what's it? What's the setup like? Yeah, um, so within the Baker Group, there's, I think, seven members of the group. We're based in the Kathleen Lonsdale building, which isn't uh, the main chemistry department building. And then we've also got the Tudor Sama Group, who we work very, very closely with. We all do very, very similar things, so it makes a lot of sense. So we share a lab with them. And then there's also um, the Shepherd Group, which we share a lab with. So um, I think all in all, there must be about maybe 25 people in the lab or something. So, yeah, obviously now it's not so many, but yeah. <laughs> In addition to winning the Ramsey Medal, I believe you also won the second year PhD poster prize. <laughs> I did, indeed. <laughs> so this was, this was for the second year of PhD work on the same uh, subject area. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay. You get to your second year, you present a poster on the work you're doing, you win a prize for it. <laughs> 
how do you then progress from that to doing more work? Because I would assume that once you've won a prize, it would be very much like a pat on the back. Everything's great. Carry on what you're doing. To then kind of get that response and go, okay, I need to now improve on certain areas. It's it's easy to improve when you're told what's wrong. But when you get a prize and you're told everything you're doing is brilliant, how do you then improve on the work from, from that point on? <laughs> Um, I guess with those poster sessions, it's actually quite nice. So, I mean, well, it all happened virtually this year, but when I did it, it was all in person in the Nyholm room. You just all, like everyone in your year has their posters up and then people come around and ask you questions and people ask you questions and you think about like, oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe that's something I could do as well. And you get a lot of feedback that way. So I think that sort of motivates you a little bit to carry on. That makes me think there probably are quite a lot of situations where you're in a more sort of um, group setting outside of your lab. So maybe have you been to any like conferences or those sorts of public engagement? I'm sure you're used to that by now. <laughs> Vigorous nod. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So I luckily just before the pandemic went to Lisbon for a conference called PEGS. I actually presented my poster there and I actually got invited to do a presentation there as well, which was very exciting, wow. very unexpected very nice. and very scary because the majority of the people presenting there are people from um, industrial companies and stuff like that. Not many PhD students present. So yeah, very scary, but quite a good opportunity for sure. And yeah, definitely so much fun to do it. I mean, I was crazy scared when I did it, but looking back, it's like such a good experience to have. So Anyone who is doing a PhD at the moment should definitely look into doing conferences and stuff. It's such a good experience. Wow, that's really, it's so interesting to, to hear that this is like a common theme that as a PhD student or as a master's student, you keep being the next stage above, which is really impressive. Um, and I guess, yeah, just just building on that a little bit more on the on the conference sort of setup do you how does that work do you get asked by your group to present something is it something that you have to like apply for um so there's so many conferences happening all the time for different fields you've got ones for medchem one for chembio one for proteins one for antibodies so on um so i guess it's just a case of it's not even like specific to the group or anything it's just you find one that you particularly are interested in and you can apply to go to it and stuff. And then, so you can either apply to just attend or you can apply to do a presentation, you can apply to do a poster. So yeah, with this one, I just applied to do a poster and then you've got to get sort of chosen. I think the majority, I assume this is how it works. The majority of people do get, that want to do a poster do end up doing one. So yeah, um, but then the presentation thing, I it, I just got asked for that. I got invited to do that. So yeah, I wasn't expecting to do that one, but definitely quite cool that I got asked. So yeah. Definitely, <laughs> definitely cool. There is a question that I've been asked by applicants, specifically applicants to the natural sciences course at UCL. And I wondered if you would have a, an insight on it. Obviously, you're doing a PhD in the chemistry department. I'm assuming most of the people that you're working alongside did their undergraduate degrees and a master's degrees in chemistry as well. Are there any ways in which you think doing a natural sciences degree beforehand have been either an advantage or a disadvantage compared to someone who's maybe just done straight chemistry all the way through? Um, I don't think it has disadvantaged me. No, I don't think so. Because I think I ended up doing the majority of like the core chemistry modules anyway. So in that way, it's not disadvantaged me. 
Um, I did, so how my degree worked was essentially chemistry and maths is how, how like my natural science de degree worked. So in first year, I sort of started off with 50-50 of both. And then as the years went on, I cut out more and more maths. <laughs> I sort of started not liking it as much. It was less numbers and more proving this, that and the other. So the good thing about doing a natural sciences degree is it allows you to like learn to balance so many different things at the same time. So I think that probably is the skill that I came out with after my degree. So yeah, definitely a good thing. I can definitely echo that that balancing act having done natural sciences as well. Exactly. It's considerable, but it really is a transferable skill afterwards, isn't it? Of just yeah. looking back and being like, oh wow, I had a lot, a lot going on in my schedule and I could do all of them. So yeah. It's something, as I say, when we've had natural sciences people looking to apply to UCL, one of the questions that we get from them and from their parents quite often is, oh well, but will they be at a disadvantage compared to single honours students if it comes to doing yeah. a PhD? And I've been saying to them, oh, no, no, it'll be absolutely fine. But it's really good to hear from someone who actually <laughs> did it that it has been not a disadvantage or, or an advantage for yeah. that going forward. So, But also, I think, like, there's a couple of people in my lab that have not even done chemistry and mm. they've come to oh, do a PhD really? in chemistry. Yeah, exactly. So I think... I know, it's incredible. <laughs> so I think there was one guy that I knew that did a maths and physics degree and then came in to do a PhD in chemistry. So there you go. And then a couple of people who've done biochem degrees and then come to do it. So I think it's it's just how much work you put into it at the end of the day. Like if you just go outside and learn your own thing and I think it's possible. So yeah, very good. Cool. I think there's, there's so much anxiety around kind of having to specialize at a young age especially in Britain having yeah, to choose your A levels and that defining your whole trajectory so it's really nice to hear that people come even to your degree which seems quite specialized from so many different angles yeah so now you're approaching the end of your PhD this might be a question you're sick of hearing but do you know what your plans are for the future are you planning to continue in academia do you have a, a career path you're looking to go into uh yes i've definitely been asked this so many times and <laughs> the answer in reality is i probably don't really know the answer to it um but i guess i i know i want to stay in science that's that's the thing i definitely know um i always thought i never wanted to stay in academia after my phd and slowly slowly it's maybe becoming an option <laughs> um <laughs> Um, but yeah, I would definitely want to stay in science, whether it's academia or industry, I don't definitely know yet. But yeah, sort of the same field, continuing on with med chem, chem bio kind of field. Well, that's positive to hear that you haven't... <laughs> Some people come out of the whole PhD and think, I never want to do that again. So <laughs> it's great that the enthusiasm has kept until now. And actually, I realise we've missed kind of an obvious question. What What are the differences between your sort of work experience in industry compared to in the lab? So in an academic setting? It's quite hard to answer this because my industry experience was interesting to say the least. Um, so I oh, guess I should so? explain that really. Um, <laughs> when I started there, they had, so it was actually a manufacturing site that I was working at. But when I started, they had um, a major sort of audit happen and then they the audit went quite badly and they essentially had to stop all manufacturing. So the entire oh, no. time I was there, they weren't actually manufacturing any drugs, which was a bit of a shame. So okay. <laughs> definitely an interesting experience. <laughs> I did oh, probably gosh, no science that time. year, but anyway. But what you do learn from that though, I think is just sort of how big companies like GSK are run and it's all very 
very top down rather than individual voices being heard. So I think that's the difference between industry well, and smaller companies and I guess academia as well. So yeah, I guess with academia, you're looking at more about understanding things and that kind of thing. Whereas in big companies like GSK and industry, you're going to be thinking more about just like trying to get your medicines out there as quickly as possible and stuff like that and making money as well, I guess. <laughs> and you you did a month's work experience with GSK. That was actually a week's work experience just <laughs> when I was at school. <laughs> I had no idea what I really wanted to do. I was looking at all sorts of career pathways at the time. I mean, I thought about engineering and doing op- being an optician, being a pharmacist. I thought about all sorts at the time. So I think at that age, when you're at school, it's always so important to just get so much work experience. Just that's the only way you'll really know what you what you enjoy, I guess. So definitely a good experience and definitely probably helped me make my decision to do chemistry at uni. So if I were a recently graduated master's student who was looking to come and do a PhD in some science subject, is there any advice that you could give to me right now? Uh, any things that I could do in preparation that would help me or, or things that you weren't expecting from your PhD when you started it? I think one of the biggest things is probably like project management and time management and stuff. Um, you're essentially, you're like, you've got a three-year project that you're trying to do. And I guess it's about self-motivating yourself. So I think that's something that people should, I, I mean, I don't really know how you gain that without, without doing a PhD in the first place, but I think it's just being aware that you've got to be very self-motivated and yeah, yeah, that I think is the most important thing. I would have assumed that you would have to be pretty self-motivated to get to the stage of doing a PhD, (laughs) but I'm guessing that's maybe not always the case. So (laughs) what stage are you at with your PhD right now? Have you completed the draft? Have you got your Viva planned? Is there a Viva for chemistry PhDs? There is, yeah. Um, So I was actually meant to finish in March, but then with the pandemic, I've had an extension. So I now finish in September. So I think I definitely need it. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, I mean, over lockdown, I did end up writing a lot of my introduction and my results and discussion and stuff like that. But I've still got a bit to go. um, And I probably won't end up having handing in or having my Viva until September itself. Um, But I was just wondering, because you've obviously had a lot of experience in chemical biology and um, photochemistry as well. Is there anything in that sort of area that you've, you would really like to work on that you haven't yet? Like, is there any, or it could be in a different field. Is there anything that you've thought, oh my God, that's really cool. There's research going on in that. I would love to be in one of those groups. I mean, like how my project works is I, so essentially I'm doing some like photochemistry on small molecules at the moment, which is just small chemical compounds. And then eventually the aim is to apply this to a biological context. So I'm starting to do that now. So I think for me, it's more about just like exploring the more biology side of things. So doing more antibody work, maybe even going into like cell work and stuff. So I think that's something that I would possibly want at some point. I've just noticed that we we failed somewhat on an element of our research because I've been sitting here wanting to talk to you about winning the Ramsey Medal and the second year physical chemistry poster prize <laughs> and have completely failed to mention that you also won the Davies Prize, the Bader Prize and the Natural Sciences Distinction oh. Prize at the same time. <laughs> oh my goodness. We should just list all of the prizes at the beginning. <laughs> so are there any years during your degree where you haven't uh... won a prize? <laughs> 
my third year at uni, I think. <laughs> Do you ever have those times where you talk to someone and feel like such an underachiever in that discussion? It's really shocking. I just can't believe that you're still so in shock every time it happens. You must be used to it. I really am. Wow. A surprise for me? This is unexpected. Like this is what everyone says to me podcast. within the group as well. Like Loads of people are like, oh yes, the next year you're going to win another prize. And I'm like, no, I'm not, no. I think that's Aww. that's interesting though, because I think that, that speaks a lot for... Uh, the kind of personality that wins prizes. If if one is the kind of person who comes in expecting to win a prize, invariably <laughs> the work rate drops, the standard of work drops, and you end up being mm. middling at best. Whereas the people who come in going like every time shocked that they've won something end up working such a higher level um, to kind of maintain that. So, so just to clarify those, um, the Davies Prize was for the best student presentation in organic chemistry. Was that linked to the poster prize you won in the second um, year? Was not this... quite. So the second year poster prize, <laughs> it's also quite funny because because my my PhD is very sort of interdisciplinary. You've got the chem bio side and I've got the photochemistry side. So the second year poster prize I won for physical chemistry. And then that third year Davies one was for organic chemistry. So like I said, you have the final year talks and stuff. So everyone competes against each other. So the organic section, which is where I sort of was based for that, um, would compete. And I won that one. And that's winning that is what puts you forward towards the Ramsey medal. So that, I guess, is connected. I see. Wow. It's um, reminding me of like a debater competition. First heat, second heat. <laughs> different stages and you kind of... Yeah, exactly. Just taking down chemists left, right and centre. It's quite, quite a cool image. Um, and then I'm looking, the Bader Prize, it says he was awarded to the best postgraduate student starting a PhD yeah, degree exactly. in organic chemistry. So was, was that kind of like the first <laughs> week they looked at all of your applications and went... I didn't actually know this existed. So, um, <laughs> so Jamie, my supervisor, actually just asked me and he was like, oh, I need to get your grades from your um, undergraduate degree and then you get put forward for this possible prize and I was like okay sure um so yeah that's how that one works we've made light of all the prizes but do you have like a, a sense of where that work ethic comes from because it is actually it's a real like it seems like you have <laughs> an incredible work ethic to be um, winning these prizes I don't know I guess it's just love of what you do and also wanting to do the best you can I think that's what it is always for me like I I would never just do a half-hearted, like for the poster prize, for example, I would never just do a random poster and be done with it kind of thing, just because it's for the sake of it. I would have always put effort into it. And same with the presentation, I would have always made effort to make it a good presentation. So yeah, I guess it's just that. <laughs> yeah. And is that drive, would you say that's kind of specific to your love of chemistry or? Are you just a really <laughs> I mean, I don't think I personally around. am. Like I always think, oh, I'm or currently, especially with the pandemic and everything, I'm always like, oh, I feel that. so demotivated. I can't be bothered to do this and I can't be bothered to do that. But then I guess at the end of the day, you want to do well. So you you are at the back of your mind. You are always motivated. You mentioned there like you, you wouldn't do, you know, you wouldn't just submit a half-hearted poster or something. Are there any non-scientific skills that you really want to improve on right now? Like, are, are, are you looking to... Now, maybe learn some graphic design or some video edit or some kind of public engagement kind of measures. Or are you very much the type who wants to be stuck in a lab? Uh, no, not necessarily. 
For me, you're going to laugh at this, but I think I always wanted to improve my presentation skills. (laughs) (laughs) That for me, honestly, I, I get so nervous when I have to do presentations. So I think for me, yeah, I just want more experience in that as well, I guess. I think it's it's one of those things that people who have presented for years and years still find that they're getting, you know, yeah. complete butterflies in their stomach <laughs> and feeling nervous. So the more practice, the better, it sounds like. A, a friend of mine once said to me, if you weren't getting nervous about doing something, that meant you didn't That's care. probably true. So I always take that as a Yeah, or you're doing something wrong. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Yeah. Exactly. The, the day you stop feeling nervous about stuff is the day you should probably find another <laughs> path to go down. So... But I would just like to say thank you very much for a a fascinating conversation and an insight into the work of a PhD student. Um, So thank you very much, Roshni, for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was brilliant. And thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, We'll be back next month with another episode of Hypot and Hughes. Thanks very much. Bye.